On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are joined by Annette Hom from CHCH's Morning Live. And we are going to be talking about all kinds of things from city hall surveys to billionaires blasting off into space to even offering opposing views on the Holocaust. And if that sounds ridiculous to you, yes, that's kind of the point. We'll talk about it all. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So we like to always find someone who can bring opinions and intelligence and personality and all the things you want to compensate for the host. <laughs> and this today we have one of our absolutely favorite guests because she does all of that. And she is a professional broadcast journalist and she brings up the level of the show and I realize that all I'm doing is bumping up expectations, but it's appropriate. Annette Hom from CHCH's Morning Live is here. Annette, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Wow. I, I wish you could introduce me on every show. You know, when the day how comes that I need work. That? Yeah, when the day comes <laughs> that I need work, maybe I'll be like your version of Johnny from The Price is Right. I'll just, uh, here's <laughs> Annette. You know, that's... Uh, well, that, or, we could do that. We could find a, a proper intro thing for you. I mean, lots of people have intro music, right? The president of the United States always has Hail to the Chief. We could, yes. Johnny Carson always had an intro. We could have the special Annette intro on the show. I like that. I like that. What would be the song? What would my song be? Yeah. Something, song Disney. Be? Something Disney. Something <laughs> <laughs> oh, Disney. I'll think about that. Yeah, there, there's got to be a there's got to be a Disney song out there somewhere. I mean, for people who don't know, Annette is the well Hamilton's for sure, probably Ontario's, potentially Canada's biggest Disney fan, which is you know I don't even think that's a secret anymore. I mean, that's everybody. That's your thing. That's cool. That's but so it has to be Disney. Yeah, probably. Um, oh, you know what? It could be the the, the theme song from Moana. Maybe that's, that's a good one. My recent favorite. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. I mean, way well, better than the fact that Disney now owns all the Star Wars stuff. Way better than the uh, you know the Imperial March, the Darth Vader entry song. Oh, See yeah. that? I'm not. A, I'm not a Star Wars fan. Have you ever in 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 your trips down there? Have you ever been on that new Star Wars ride? Oh, or oh anything? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I and and I like it. But um, I'm just not a huge huge Star Wars fan. Yeah, I. I we're probably not going to talk a lot of Star Wars tonight because I am with you. I, I feel almost, there's almost a sense of guilt when you tell people you're not a Star Wars fan or a no. Star Trek fan because somehow yeah. you're supposed to be, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't love that stuff, but okay. Each to their own, right? Annette, let me ask you a question here because before we get going, I've got a lot of stuff to get to today, but before we start, uh, everybody knows that you do the morning show. You are up way early uh, you, this is now your life. You've been doing this for a long, long time. You're used to it now. I'm filling in for Rick Zamperin here on 900 CHML next week. I He starts his show. That show, the show I'll be doing, starts at 5.30, which means I I have to be up roughly about the time I'm normally going to bed. <laughs> what, okay, what is so the what advice? You, and you don't have to get makeup on either. Some people might suggest it would be a good thing even for me on radio, but that's, uh, <laughs> a, that's a different discussion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of powder. Let me tell you, they should just turn me upside down and dunk my head in a bucket of powder. There's so much head to dunk. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I usually work late. I finish my show and then I do some more work to prepare for the next day, get started. So I'm often not going to bed until one thirty or two, and I'm going to be having to get and up. Two at like is when three. my alarm goes off. Yeah, see, 
So what's the secret? Yep. What's the secret? How do you do it? And literally in time, not go completely insane with that time frame. Well, it, it's, it's funny because I, I was off work for a couple of weeks. So I got, you know, used to staying up late and sleeping in late, I don't like sleeping in late till six. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and this week has been really tough because now I have to get back to that, you know, waking up at two and trying not to nap all afternoon because then that just ruins the sleep for the night before or the night, you know, the, the next morning. And yeah, it's, it takes me a couple of weeks after I've, I've been away to, uh, to get back into things. My, and the biggest challenge I would think, and you do this very well, Bob does this very well. See, most people who get up at that time of day, they can do it maybe, but they can grab a coffee and go to work and be grumpy until noon because of the fact you guys, you have to show up and, and I'm, I, you got to be chipper and upbeat and everything and hide it. I mean, you guys are actors. I, I, I'm, I'm working on that. I've been trying today to practice whenever I feel grumpy about something to pretend and put on the spot. Now, I, you know, we mentioned Disney. I kind of feel like a Disney character. You know, you got to, no matter what, you got to be happy. Bring the happy. Gotta be happy. Got to be happy. I don't know don't how you do it. Either. I tell you. <laughs> I will, uh, we will see. I mean, I, I, we'll see what happens on, for, on Monday morning at five 30 when I, when I hit the right, if I hit the right button, even if I even hit the well, right button, because at that time, be, you know, you'll be on air before we are, because we're not on till six, but so what, I don't know what how Rick Zamperin does it. Yeah. So what time do you actually have to be like, I don't know. Are you, are you in the studio? Yes, and that was that was funny today because uh, this is probably a way inside baseball for people. But since the pandemic hit, I have been and right now I have been doing my show from my house. And today was the first time I've been down to the studio. I had to go in today just to make sure that my password still worked to get into the computer system, so I could I could do the show properly on Monday, and that I could my card still worked to get me into the building. It's the first time I've been down there. So yes, I, I, I actually wore proper clothes today for the first time. I looked almost like a reasonably respectably dressed human being compared to what I've been doing now for 19 months where, you know, it's whatever's the top thing in the drawer. And boy, some of the combinations have been really interesting, but who, who can tell? <laughs> who can tell? I will say this and as we go to a break and, and I will say this. I have thought for 19 months now that I should at least once, so that down the road I can say I did it, that I should at least once do this show in my underwear. I have never done that yet. I have never, I have always been dressed when I've done this show, but I've always thought that would, for down the road to say, what was one of the most memorable things when you did radio? I said, well, I once did my show in my underwear. Never happened yet. I can't bring myself to do it. It seems wrong. It just Maybe seems long wrong. underwear in the wintertime. Well, yes, Mr. Mayor. What what happens when you're talking to the mayor and you're wearing your underwear? It seems wrong. I don't know. There's there's just something <laughs> off-putting about it. Anyway, yes, I will be I will be uh, commiserating, or you maybe can be commiserating with me next week when uh, when the bags under my eyes make my nose look like it's wearing a saddle because I'm so tired. But we'll we'll make it we'll make it work. We'll be chipper. We'll be happy, and we'll uh, we'll do what we can. All right, let us take I a break here on the Scott Rat. Really, you'll be able to leave. Yeah, well, there's that. There's that. I'll have the day to myself, I guess. So yeah. uh, there's always a silver lining in every dark cloud. Um, although it's not really a dark cloud. I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm just terrified of the exhaustion, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
Now, just before we get to the important stuff, we had talked about your theme song. I got one suggestion here from Frank who says, how about Annette goes with I Want to Be Bobby's Girl by Marcy Blaine since you sit, ne- sit next to Bob Cowan. I think maybe we got to find one that's, you know, Bob wants to be Annette's oh, part. Yeah, I don't know. That, that, seems, that seems a little old school, but um, anyway. Yeah. Nice song, a little old school. Thanks, uh, Frank. <laughs> Annette, th- there has been a lot of talk in the city over the last number of months because City Hall put out a survey to some households, a couple hundred thousand, I think, were sent out about the urban boundary expansion in the city. And it's a real hot button issue about whether or not the city should continue to allow development of homes into uh, farmland, into other areas that have not yet been developed. And when the survey went out, it was... The, the results that came back were overwhelmingly 90% against mm-hmm. allowing urban boundary expansion. Now, um, this was, there was an organized campaign and that's fine. That's part of, you're allowed to do that. There's nothing illegal about that, but the anti folks really pushed this and drove the numbers up fine. But my question is this, is this something, if council is looking for the public's input on this issue, this controversial, potentially divisive issue, should this be something that council is doing more regularly with other controversial divisive issues? Or is this a kind of thing when you see a result that is skewed, quite frankly, by an organized campaign, they say, yeah, this didn't really help us all that much. I, when that, first of all, when the, when the pamphlet first arrived, I knew it was coming because we had done a story on it. So you know, when I was going through my mail, I almost thought it was a piece of junk mail. So I wonder I've how heard many that people, from a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Thought the same thing. And, and I filled mine out and sent it, but I'm like, really, what's, what's going to happen with this? Uh, is it, is it a way of confirming maybe a decision that they've already made or are they literally, or, you know, really looking for input? And, and then I'm like, so I sent it in anyways, but yeah, I'm, I don't know to what purpose that was sent out. Well, look, let, let's give the benefit of the doubt. And let's say they truly, all the council truly had an open mind and they really wanted to get a feel for where the public was on this thing, on this tough issue. Do you think they did? Because the 18,000 came, eight, they got 18,000 responses, as, as I say, 90% against it do, do you believe that if you were to extrapolate that across the city and everybody in the city was asked that it would be 90 percent against yeah could be yes and and i know that they sent it out because it's part i was i believe it was part of the provincial um like it's part of a provincial mandate that they had to do it yes but uh, i don't know like i i haven't seen the city or heard the city come back and say okay results are overwhelming here's what we're going to do no, so October 25th is when this meeting is going to happen at City Council, where they're going to try to start talking about this. And yeah. what they do and how much weight they give to this poll is, we'll find out then. I mean, there's certainly been a number of councillors who have really pointed to this and said, look, it's 90% against. I don't believe that if you asked every, if everybody in the city had responded, and not everyone even got a ballot, but if everyone in the city got responded, I don't think it's 90%. Now, it may be the majority, the well, plurality might be that. against. Yeah. It could be. It could be, or it could be 55%, 45%. I don't know. But but back to the point, is this something that we would like to see council doing more of? To say, you know, let's let's talk let's talk about another divisive issue, a controversial issue in the city. Bike lanes. 
Should we be sending out a, a survey to all of the city to say, should we be spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars more on bike lanes or should we not? And whether you agree or disagree with the concept of bike lanes is not the issue on this one. It's should council, be, should this be a new tool they use or is council paid, are councillors paid to make these decisions and don't need to have the, the winds of the public blowing in their ear? That's where I am. I'm like, we we voted our councillors in and, and hopefully people, <laughs> I hope this encourages more people to vote in the municipal election because that's the election that really, really affects everything that's going around your home, right, in your in your city. Um, I, I, I would like to leave that information or the decision up to our council because that's why we elected them. Yeah, and, and the I other wonder, thing... I wonder how much in mailing costs, that costs. I think the total they said, I, I remember hearing the figure of $35,000 was the number. Now, uh, by the way, there was an online component. Even if you didn't get a ballot, you could still yeah. have your say. And so like this could be, if this was something that council was going to do in the future with other issues, this is something you could almost eliminate that because you could literally just have a site on the city's webpage where you tell people, hey, it's open, vote. Now, would that get any kind of a practical or trustworthy or credible response? That's kind of the whole question, even with this one. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm with you. I, I here, Here's the really biggest question I had on this. A number of years ago, 2017, 2018, 2016, there were a lot of people pushing for either a referendum or something along those lines on LRT. Yeah. And that was never done. And seems to me that if you're going to the people on this one, a controversial city affecting big decision, and you say, we really need to hear what the people have to say about this. Why was the same not done with LRT? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I agree that sometimes a referendum is needed, but again, referendum is very expensive, right? But yeah, although, although the city boundary thing, I think, is, is perhaps an even bigger issue than LRT, right? I think it affects more people. Uh, it could. It, it could. I mean, it's uh, which is bigger? I mean, obviously, LRT is going to have a massive impact for better or for worse, and we'll find that out in mm-hmm. 10 years probably on a lot of parts of the city, the downtown and uh, the ability to get into downtown and taxes and transit in the rest of town and all. I mean, there's going to be lots of different impacts. Um, I, I say, I just, I, I look at this and I think, okay, if council is now saying on these biggest of decisions that we need to have the public's voice to help guide us, then I think it was a massive whiff to not ask the public for their say when LRT was on the table, because I think that, and whether that's because some were fearful of what the response might've been, I don't know, but mm-hmm. Let's go to the next step. And we only have a few seconds here. Let's go to the next step. Let's say that there had been an LRT survey or poll or something that, and it had come back as being against the LRT. Do you think that that would have ended the council's discussion on LRT? I don't. I don't think so either. And so what then, what weight or credibility or what, whatever should this survey then be given? Because it's not a binding referendum. It's sort of council decides what they want to do with it. And so goes back to my point. I, I'm not entirely sure I see all the value in this. I, I'm like you. I would rather have council do what council is supposed to do and make their decisions. 
Yeah, although like whether they weigh it as much as, you know, um, how many times council will take staff considerations into uh, or staff recommendations into consideration. So hopefully they're they're taking population considerations. Yeah, although staff is, I mean, that's why staff exists is to be yeah. able to offer intelligent, professional, guided by facts and details that the general public may not have information and make it into forge it into their decision i mean does 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 joe on the mountain know all the details about urban well sure but have all the fa the the information about urban boundary expansion that someone who's working on this file at city hall have presumably not so i don't know it's a um it's it's an interesting one but again i go back if 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 this ends up being heavily heavily used and given tons of weight around the council table i think a fair question is why was this not done for lrt because it seems like it should have been then as well but it wasn't you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml earlier this week on the show we were talking about a story that was out about heating prices gas and fuel and what it's going to cost canadians and americans holy cow americans especially but what it's going to cost to heat your home this winter and the numbers annette are pretty staggering what they're talking about right now La yeah. last year it was the price to, to the average natural gas home heating fuel price was 86 cents a liter last year now it's dollar 33 a liter already and going up and they are now talking that your home heating bills this winter may be 20%, 25% higher than before. It could be even higher. And certain parts of the states, they have it even worse than we do. They're talking 50% increase in their home heating costs year to year. And I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, and I mean, do you, I think most people like the idea, support the idea of transitioning to a more green economy. But when, when the when the change the transition actually hits you in your wallet when people start to it's not theoretical it's not a nice concept it's now hundreds of dollars are being taken out of your pocket to deal with this do you think that's going to change the discussion and make people maybe want to slow this down a little bit yes i think so i think you're going to see so many people this winter or this fall um, looking at weather stripping and more insulation and whatever they can do to keep that heat in the house. Uh, agreed. And even then, you know, this is, this is the challenge of Canada is that we can have these lofty ideas about going all green, but we do live in a climate that is cold for half of the year. And we don't have the option to simply say, well, you know, a little more weather stripping and that should cover it for me. You still have to heat your house. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, I look at this and I, pardon me. But at what temperature, what, like what temperature do you keep your house at in the wintertime? We're, we usually have it at about 73 and it's, that's not hot. I mean, we're not, uh, we're, we're not pouring sand on the living room and, uh, planting palm trees. I mean, I'm still wearing a fleece or something in the house. Hmm? Is that, is that around 21, 22? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I should probably, uh, yeah. In that ballpark, that would be, yeah. 21 or 22. Yeah. Something like that. Which I think is. The arc, we keep, okay. You sitting down for this one at night, ours goes down to 15. And I don't, I, I mean, look at night. That's, do you have pets by the way? I mean, it's a silly question maybe, but you do you have any animals? Cats. 
eaters. Yeah, and so they're fine. I mean, they, they'll they'll figure it out. They probably get under the covers or or whatever. But there are our bed warmers. At night, yeah, it's, I, yeah you, you can do that. But what about? I mean, people, especially now, with people still having to work from home. You know, you can, yeah. you can get under the covers and turn it down to 15 at night. You can't have, well, you could, I suppose, but most people are not going to say, I'm going to be comfortably working at home in 15 degrees. Yeah. But see, our, during the day, we keep it at about 18. And I just, wow. like we, you know, we wear sweaters. <laughs> Everybody comes to our house and goes, man, it's cold. Yeah, no kidding. I, I think I have some steak left over. I could hang in your house to, to, to keep it <laughs> fresh. keep the fridge open. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, I, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I would suggest that probably you are on the lower end of the the heating spectrum for most people. Yes. But but maybe not for long. Maybe not for long. Maybe it's going to be a case where people say, "I, I just I, I'm not keeping my house at 21 or 22 now. I've got to keep it at 15 or 16 or 18. It may not be comfortable, but you won't freeze to death." But yeah, I, look I really go back the... to seniors too, because you you yes. you know you go into I used to remember going into my grandma's house and and you know because a lot of seniors like like it just warmer right because I I guess as you as you get older you want it warmer sure um, but I'm like wow that's that's going to cost a lot. Well, and look, it's it's not. I mean, yes, yeah, seniors for sure, and understandably so. And they sh- they shouldn't have to freeze. They shouldn't have to keep their house at freezing temperatures. Mm. But you've now got like, how long have we been hearing the word affordability? And you've got people, yeah. uh, understandably, younger people, new professionals, people bursting into the market now and looking, and they buy a house and they have to spend a fortune to buy a house, so they're now tapped out on their mortgage. And living basically just hanging on because they're house poor. And now we're saying, oh, by the way, here's a few more hundred dollars. At least you're going to have to pay on heating. There comes a point, I think, when people are going to be saying, wait a second, what's going on here? And they may point to the government and say, do something about this. Well, it's the government and the policies that they are trying to rapidly bring in that are in a big part what's actually causing this. To happen. So what do you want? It becomes a question. Do you want the government to do something about this, which probably means slow down the green transition a little bit until we have the technology to do this better, or do you want to deal with it? And I don't know which one. I, I think people are almost always going to go with the, I'm not wanting you to take more money out of my pocket. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll see if if the blowback comes. I mean, people look the, the the prices at the pump go up by a little bit, and people get cranky. So wait till the first bill comes, and it's two hundred or three hundred dollars more than they expected. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that even last year that prices were were going up because I was like, is this for one month or or is this for two months? There have been those bills, haven't there? Where mm-hmm. where your eyes bug out, whether it's electric, and that's that's the other thing. What are our options? So we say, okay, I don't want to pay the home heating bills with gas. Okay, I'm going to heat my home with electric. Have you seen the prices of electricity in Ontario? That'll really... That much more expensive, right? That would do you in completely. So I... Mm -hmm. The problem with this one is that we don't have an option. We have to heat our home. Unless somehow you've decided that you're going to live a six-month human polar bear dip experience for the entire time. You have to heat your home. Yeah. And... It's, you're going to pay. 
And I, and I, despite the, the, despite the comments that people want green, they want to push for green. They want to go hard on green. I really believe that's all fine until it hits them and it's no longer theoretical, but practical. And I think a lot of people are going to be saying, well, wait a second, how can we maybe do this a little slower? That, that's what I'm fully expecting to happen. Yeah, but if we don't go green, then then the problem is just we're just shoving the problem down the road. Well, we can we can go green, but maybe we do it at a pace when the technology that allows for some of these things is there so we can do it more easily. I mean, we, we don't have the windmills to be able to get rid of all the, the natural, the, the fossil fuels we need. We don't have the solar panels. We don't have the, the other methods in enough scale yet that we can just get rid of gas. We still need it right now. That's the problem. We don't have the option to say we can flick a switch and just go green and look where we are. And maybe that's what we need to do. Slow it down a little bit until we do have those options available. Mm-hmm. We will see. We will see. But yeah, just uh, keep your eye, folks listening. Keep your eye on, uh, on your heating bill. And see if it reflects at home. I, I hope it doesn't. I'm not rooting for you <laughs> to be getting hammered with higher bills, but keep an eye and see if what is being forewarned actually happens when when that first bill arrives. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This one uh, that I want to ask you about, I, I had to read this twice, three times, four times. I, I, I honestly thought this was satire. Sadly, it's not, but let me throw this at you. In Texas, there was a, a, a head of a, a senior administrator in a school board in Texas who was trying, they are trying to apply new rules about, you know, history. Each person's history is different. It's, you know, history is not the history that we learned in school. Your history might be different from my. So this has become a real challenge of how do we teach history? How do we deal with history? Well, this is where things went, I think, a little off the rails. She was talking to teachers and someone recorded this. And here's a quote. And make sure that if you have a book on the Holocaust, you have one that has an opposing view that has other perspectives as well. Does this, I, is this just the point where we say, okay, we've now reached the, the tipping point and we have to have a little common sense brought into the broader discussion? Yes, because a teacher in in that hallway conversation had asked her, like, can you name a book that would have an opposing view on the Holocaust? I understand, too, that the the school uh, school superintendent has apologized for the comments that were made Shocker. Uh, at that meeting. And, and it wasn't made publicly, right? It was, uh, it was a hallway conversation. But, yeah, I shook my head at that. I thought, is this something coming out of the onion? You know, it's a satire. Right. But. Wow. But the, so there probably are, I, I have no doubt that there are books out there that have opposing views on the Holocaust. I mean, Ernst Zundel, I mean, we, we know there are Holocaust deniers that have deniers. existed yeah. and maybe that's the opposing view, but it seems to me that there's a little common sense that sometimes in bureaucracy gets lost that we say, okay, well, if you say we have to do this, then we're going to almost sometimes act like we're a kindergarten student and say, well, then I'm going to do it all the way just to show you that, I mean, this is, this seems to me to just be the height of idiocy, but you want to know something? I'm betting you that she's probably not the only one, maybe not wording it this exact way, but that's saying, fine, 
If you're going to make us teach all sides of everything and open up that anything, any possibility is fine. Well, here's where, here's where you get. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, so did you, did you learn much about the Holocaust when you were in school? Like great detail. I knew what it was. I knew about Auschwitz, which, uh, you know, we've in recent years heard that not everyone even knew what Auschwitz was. I mean, adults, I, I, hopefully yeah. that's now being taught, yeah. but, um, no, I mean, I, I have learned much more as an adult on my own of my own accord yeah. as I've done more reading, but I knew the overall the basic idea. The, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Are you same? Um, I, I was trying to think because uh, like I'm a history buff and I'm trying to remember in school if we actually learned about it or not, or, or, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those, out, um, you know, out of school experiences that you, you know, you just know about it. But is this not but really the I... dangerous part, Annette? That, so you may have gotten some, but if you don't really understand it yet, because you're giving it a not really deep dive into this in school. And then they introduce, oh, but other people say it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. You don't have the basis of understanding to already be able to reject that idea and say, no, come on, this is ridiculous. You're just a young person who's being told, hey, some people say it didn't happen. Make your choice. Yeah. I think what would be so much more useful too is is to teach what was going on before the Holocaust started and, and how many other governments were kind of okay with what the Nazis were doing at the time, not not understanding the horrors of what was going on, but just how, how, how the world just kind of like how he was able to do this for build on this idea for so many years before it actually started. There, there are, there are fantastic high school history teachers out there unquestionably. And I had one in, but there are also terrible high school history teachers out there who, you know, the context is what you're supposed to be learning in history class, not just a recitation of dates and years and going, Oh, in 1066, Hadrian's wall was built. Great. What does that mean? I don't know. But as long as I learned the date, I'm good. And I can write the test, but that's what, you know, there's the difference. The, The other thing about this though, that really just makes me crazy is this seems to be the logical extension of the post-truth philosophy that truth is what you believe truth to be you know there really is no truth there's nothing that we can say absolutely if you think it's your truth then it's your truth and if it's not your truth then you go with your truth some things are just true and i don't know that we need to be playing around with it and pretending and opening the door to saying that nothing is true and you can make your decisions entirely on everything because it's up to you but that's where we are it seems with a lot of things i i'm i'm i'm, so, so I'm much more terribly needs to be done though i think in, in in our schools with uh with you know how we learned history about canadian history right yeah Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a real application here with what's going on right now, isn't there? Mm-hmm. With indigenous, uh, yeah. indigenous, uh, issues learned very little about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and where this though becomes difficult and where the challenge is, is okay. So what is being taught? Are we, are we, maybe we were taught that native people were the bad guys. 
but I'm not sure that the flip side is that all non-Indigenous people were the bad guys. They're, 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 this is where the nuance and this is where some a, a good history teacher is going to be able to add the context and try and explain what happened, which I don't think that taking, well, just present an opposing opinion and that counts. I, I just, I, that, that seems like a lazy bit of teaching method. Yeah, However. you've got to put everything in context because history is our future, right? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. And that we got to, you know, I, I, I can't impose upon you to make this a regular thing, but boy, we should because you should be doing more radio. You're good at this. I, I appreciate you sticking with us. <laughs> Did you, you see are. the show this morning that it felt like we were doing radio for our first hour? <laughs> I heard there was something. What, what happened this morning? We had, so the system that runs all of our video... Um, crashed just before the show. So for an hour, we were basically doing a radio show. <laughs> hey. I have great respect for what you do. <laughs> it is, uh, it is, you know, I always say that when I'm writing for the paper, all I'm doing is rearranging 26 letters. And when I'm doing a radio show, <laughs> all I'm doing is chatting. So it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's hardly rocket science, but that's a beautiful segue. Let's talk oh, about rocket segue. science what for a, a minute. Are you a fan of the current modern Jeff Bezos and, you know, billionaires creating their own space program, theoretically, presumably, ostensibly to further science and do what NASA that has lost a lot of its funding can't do? Or do you look at this and go, this is just a bunch of rich guys playing with really expensive toys and I have no time for it? Uh, I'm uh, I'm with the uh, the latter. The look how big my rocket is. Huh. Well, if you saw the <laughs> rocket that they shot off this week, you would say, "Oh my! Uh, oh, yeah, oh my!" Is right. Yeah, the, I think that the designers were having a little fun at Jeff Bezos' expense when they built that one. But nonetheless, <laughs> back to the point. I, you know what? I, I thought it was very telling. So it, it was fascinating yesterday watching the launch. But I thought it was very telling that the same screen that we were watching it on, um, you, you think of how many millions or perhaps billions that it's, it, you know, that flight cost yesterday, the entire thing, getting it up there and, and, and whatever. At, at the same time on that same screen, um, you know, I was reading about the water crisis in the Calouet, and I'm like, where are our priorities here? That is a commonly held view that a lot of people have expressed. And the, the counter position to that one would be, yeah, but it, assuming or presuming that what they're doing is steps towards something bigger, that maybe we benefit somehow in science from a space program that, as I say, NASA, you know, a lot of the funding seems to have gone away. And so this is private industry doing many of the things that NASA would have previously done. Mm -hmm. And I don't discount all of the innovations that we have on Earth today because of, of the space race earlier. But it, it just seems like, uh, I don't know, with the, the little private tourism thing, and I, I don't see to what end that's going to help us. Speaking of that, do you think that having William Shatner, Captain Kirk, on board makes it draws more attention to it so that more people become interested or does it make it almost a joke that says, look, it's just a bunch of people flying around having a lark. 
Oh, I don't know. Like, I got to tell you, how often do you see? Uh, well, you haven't been in a in a newsroom for for a bit because you're you're working out at, at home. But I was shocked at how many of us just stopped what we were doing yesterday and watched it because it was like, well, it it did draw a lot of attention. And when was the last time that happened? I would suggest maybe the last time that we paid that much attention to a space launch, to a, a rocket launch, and this is this is grim but might have been the space shuttle launch after the Challenger disaster. Yes. Yeah. So, well, and I mean, and how many of us, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a dark sense of, not of humor, but just that pessimistic, oh, you know, what if yesterday had crashed? That's why we were watching. You know, that's a really interesting thing too. And, and it is bleak. I mean, talking about rockets blowing up and stuff, because there are real human beings. I mean, go back to the Mercury program and the early Apollo program and the Gemini program. I mean, people died. Lots of astronauts died mm-hmm. in that. But I, I I did think that maybe it's just me being dark, but I, I thought if, if this particular rocket blows up with William Shatner on board, this is the end. But- that's the and that's what we all said too. Then then this is over. Yeah, you can't blow up Captain Kirk. And again, I I know I'm sounding flippant when I say it, but legitimately, you can't blow up a celebrity who whose life isn't worth more than other people's, but we portray it so. Uh, you can't blow mm-hmm. up a celebrity on TV with everybody watching and then carry on again like nothing happened. I I truly believe if something bad had happened, that's the end of the whole private rocket industry. But because it wasn't, I see Musk and I see Bezos and I see more of them perhaps doing more and more of this. I I just don't know where they're going with it. And if they if they could explain what the end goal is here, and I'm I'm trusting that they have an end goal besides just space tourism, but if they can say, hey, we're Look, when when the Apollo program, again, and, and Mercury and Gemini, they didn't go to the moon on the first try. It was incremental steps that they were doing to try and test the technology and everything else. If that's what's happening towards a larger end, I'm all for it. If the taxpayers of the states don't have to pay for it and a private sector wants to do the work, I'm all for it. I just hope that there is something at the end. Well, and I wonder too, is, is the space tourism going to help pay for that, right? And Sure, sure. Could you imagine, Annette, could you imagine just for a second, if they ever did decide one of these private enterprises that they were going to go back to the moon, what would someone who was really rich pay to go to the moon? To go to the moon, yeah. Like, would you do it if you had the chance to do it? Would you go on a space, a space flight? I see, I, again, you're hitting the points that I was thinking about with first with William Shatner and if something bad happened and second, would I do it? And I think I would now, now my wife and my kids might not agree and and vice versa. If they were the ones who were going to go up there, because there's always a chance that something horrible could happen. I mean, that's the risk of space flight, but boy, if, if the, if you, if some if Jeff Bezos called me up tomorrow, which you know we often chat, and so if he called me up tomorrow and said, "Would you like <laughs> no, to go on our thought. next? Yeah, would you like to go on our next rocket launch?" <laughs> wow, boy, I I I would be hard pressed to say no to that. How about you? Yeah, I I I just think on principle I would say no because of the idea that it's just a billionaire spending money on things that are not necessary. 
Yeah, and, and you think about like how much fuel did that use to yeah. to get up there, and, and and you really think on on that end, like to what end was that flight yesterday? And again, I, I you know I, I'm going to have to do a deeper dive because somehow I have it may be out there, but somehow I've missed the explanation of what the end game is on this, and if if there is a a target, if there is something that they are doing that they're trying to build to that will be beneficial to humanity. I'm okay with it then because, you know, look back in when, when Apollo 11 was going to the moon, we forget now, and it was before my time, but we forget there were a lot of critics of that program. There were a mm-hmm. lot of critics of that rocket going to the moon because of the cost, because, you know, the, there were, there were protests about whitey going to the moon. And, you know, where, where African-American populations in the States weren't getting funding for things. Uh, We forget because it was a glorious moment in American and world history. If there's something good that's going to come out of this, I'm all for doing it. I just haven't had a good explanation offered, at least not that I've seen. It's so far, it looks like it's, it's just for fun and just for, as you say, what was this? That you, who has the biggest rocket or for ego or for, you know, <laughs> Here's my rocket. and that's, if that's all it is, then I'm with you. If that's all it yeah. is, then I'm with you. If this is just because I can, because I've got the dough and I have nothing. I mean, you know, if, if you're, if, if you're Jeff Bezos and you've got hundreds of billions of dollars, well, what do you spend it on? I don't know. I don't have that kind of money. If I, if I have a thousand bucks in my pocket at the end of the year, I'm like, oh, great. Let's save yeah, it. Let's I'm happy not about that. It. Yeah. I mean, so. Can I, it, can I a, do a shameless plug for, uh, for morning live here? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Talking about things that can go wrong in space. So on Monday on morning live, uh, I'm talking with, uh, commander Chris Hadfield because he has a new novel out. Yes. Apollo murders. Yes. And, uh, and, and the prologue to the book is, is that a lot of this, is a lot of these things happened and, and the way all of the disasters that can happen in space and the awful things that can happen in space, there are, and, and even the training runs before they, uh, they went up into space into the Apollo program, I'm reading it and I'm like, you know that this happened and that he's, he's got so much firsthand knowledge, right? Of, um, but the book is fabulous and, and she's going to be talking about it on uh, Monday after eight o'clock. Well, think, yeah, think of Apollo one. You know, when they, when they were doing the, the training or the testing and they, and the fire broke out in the cockpit in the, in the shot, in the, in the rocket and they all died. And so, yeah, this, this stuff has happened. I mean, that's amazing by the way that you have Colonel Hatfield and he is, um, he is an amazing guest and he, yeah, people tune into, to that one. I mean, don't step away from Scott Radley hosting the Rick Zamperin show to go, but have them both on at the same time would be the idea here. <laughs> Or, or PVR or one or the other. No, I'm just, you know, Chris Hadfield is absolutely. Right. Or, or go to chch.com afterwards or YouTube. That, no. <laughs> Chris Hadfield is an amazing guest. And, you know, that's, that's again, the other side of this one is that if you're totally, not you, if broader, if the you, the greater you, if you are totally against spending money on the space program and say, I don't really see the benefit, we have no Chris Hadfield. So there are. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a debate. It's a debate both ways about, as I say, I just want to see some, some purpose to this besides just flying a rocket. That's all. That's all. Well, and I assume there is. Elon, Elon Musk program, um, that's to get largely 
to get satellites into space for better internet coverage and cellular service around the world, right? Yep. I think that's kind of the gist of, of part of the gist of, of his program. Um, I think Blue Origin is, is to change, is it to change the way space travel is done? But it's kind of interesting. I, I mean, I'm sure that many decades from now, we'll have so many different technologies because of what's going on. But I, I also think that there's just so much else here on Earth that's, that could be dealt with instead. That is all, you're right. And that, well, there's always going to be that debate that with, with, with lots of different things. I mean, this is obviously an Amer- to American multi, multi, multi billionaires who are doing this, but let's bring it back on our side of the border. I mean, how many things, if you, we, we can break this all down, how many things does our government, our federal government do and spend money on that we look at and say, you know, you do have this water crisis. If you didn't spend it on this, you could put it into this and we could do mm-hmm. that with all kinds of things. And, but it's all priorities and it's ultimately you and I just pay our taxes. We don't get to decide where the money goes. And you and I buy Amazon and watch it go up into space with the money we spend, I guess. So what's on prime tonight? Say that again. I I didn't hear you. What's on prime tonight? Yeah, exactly. It'll probably be, well, I'm assuming that what we're going to see on Amazon prime very soon, I hope is an inside shot of the capsule when it was going up. How in the world, unless they're saving it for an Amazon Prime special, how in the world can they have a camera on the outside of that rocket ship and not one on the inside on William Shatner? Oh, they did. I did see some, so they didn't do it live, but I did see some later on yesterday oh, where they? you could see them kind of floating around and he, I think he stayed strapped in his chair for most of the time, but there was, I remember seeing the, uh, the woman who was there, who, who was on the thing. I remember seeing her floating. All right. I'm, so th- I'm glad that, cause I thought of all the things you build a, however many billion dollar rocket program and all the rest. And the one thing you forget to do is put a camera in the, <laughs> in the cabin so that we can actually see that's the, that's the part I wanted to see was William Shatner. When the rocket's yeah. going well, off, I want to see his face. Really got it right. Because he, you, when he went up, you could, you know, you could see stuff. They had excellent video in, uh, in the little capsule that they were in. There's another one. I forgot about Richard Branson. There's a third guy. You got the trifecta. can't forget about Richard Branson. No, he's got a new cruise ship out that he, you know, he's built and he's, you know, yeah, Richard Branson. I keep forgetting. He's sort of that guy that he's just, he's, he's just a half an step below the other two because they're just so crazy rich that Richard Branson is just not quite there, but he does all this stuff. And yeah. Hey. I, I saw Richard Branson uh, a few years ago really? uh, in Heathrow airport and, and he was helping a mom who, who was struggling with like all her luggage and she had a toddler in her hand and she had a, a like a pushing a stroller kind of thing. And he just kind of, came out and, and I don't know, like, I, I don't think people realized who he was in the airport, but he came out and grabbed all her stuff and helped her. And I thought, wow. And that's just stuck in my mind. Whenever I think of Richard Branson, I think of that moment. And I was like, oh, wow, that's Richard Branson <laughs> helping somebody and, out. And that's terrific. That's fantastic. And you know, what seems so funny about that? It, it's a great story. 
why would we why should we be impressed by that should that not be the basic human instinct and response to something like that whether you're a billionaire or someone who's homeless i I was just impressed that he was in the regular terminal (laughs) well that too he probably owns it (laughs) he probably owns it but yeah so is a totally off topic is richard branson then the most famous person you've ever bumped into Somewhere just either traveling or whatever else. Is there anyone else that you've bumped into unexpectedly that's more famous than that? Uh, well, I couldn't say I bumped into him. I saw him from afar, but yeah, I, yeah. I think so. That's a yeah, that's a question we'll have to do on the show one time. Ask people who's the most famous person they've ever seen live or bumped into. I don't mean in a concert, but in an unexpected event. I, as I'm asking you the question, I'm trying to think. I, I know there's been a few, but I, I, I'm drawing a complete blank on who would be that person for me. I'll, I'll think of it tonight as I'm just about to fall asleep. I'll, it'll, it'll suddenly like all great thoughts. It'll hit me right at the moment of just about to fall asleep. And then I'll be wide awake again. Just before we go, we were talking about crazy money. I got to tell you this story. Have you ever seen on social media? It's on YouTube, but he's very, very big on social media. Maybe at least I've seen him on social media. He's a chef or a cook, I guess in England called salt by salt bay. Have you ever seen this guy? No. So he is famous for, he's a a steak expert, I guess. He has a restaurant and to me, it's one of the most ridiculous things. His, his, his shtick, his, the, the reason you might have seen him, the thing that has made him famous. And again, this is so stupid that it's beyond human comprehension, how something like this can make you famous. But his whole shtick is that, if you can imagine holding up your hand like you're imitating a cobra, all right? So you bend at the elbow and have your wrist forward okay, and you yeah, and, I'm doing it now. and when it now. you pinch your fingers, he's holding salt and he will lean his elbow, extend it forward, lean it over your steak and drop this the salt onto his forearm so it rolls down and goes onto your steak. That's the whole thing. That's what's made him famous, his salt delivery system, which beyond that, I find it gross that I don't want someone's forearm juice onto my steak. But nonetheless, (laughs) this is what has made this guy famous. And he's now got this incredibly fancy restaurant in London. And there's a story on, uh, where is this story from now? It is from the Manchester Evening News, that a customer is outraged because this person and some friends went to this guy's restaurant, I guess decided to have a really nice meal and kind of fell off their chair when they got the bill for 32,000 pounds for dinner. Oh, this is Salt Bay. Okay. Yes. I'm Googling this as we speak. Yeah, Salt Bay. Wow. $32,000 dinner. They ordered what the the main thing that they ordered, I guess, to share was a golden tomahawk. So it's a giant steak that's got gold leaf on it. Why you want gold leaf on your steak? I don't know unless you want to poop out gold nuggets later on. I'm not really sure, but nonetheless, an $850 steak that was to get things rolling on this one. When they got the, and they had a bunch of sides, they get to dessert 16 orders of baklava for $400. (laughs) This has got to be some good baklava. But then they get into the wine that has been marked up and one of the bottles they bought was (laughs) $9,100. Okay, and and they're shocked at this? 
<laughs> Aren't you keeping a running tally in your head? Or maybe it's one of those places where they don't have the prices on the restaurant. Or, See, or on I the menu. think that must be it. I think that must be it. Because the, the shock, of course, how, how would you, Annette, if you go to a restaurant, you're a normal person. Like, I mean, you're better than the rest of us, but you're relatively normal no, no, compared no, no, to the no, average no. person. I don't mean, you know, I'm saying you're better. You're not saying you're better. You're not bragging, but no, so I'm, we joke, but you go to a restaurant, presumably you're going to at least want to have some idea what you're paying. No. Yes. Yes. And if you then order special bottles of wine, I don't know how much of a wine drinker the Homs are, but I'm presuming even if you order a nice one, you're thinking, okay, it's a really special occasion. You know, we can spend a hundred bucks on a bottle of wine for once a year or something. 9,100, you don't ask? <laughs> or the sommelier should have said, well, look, okay, I'm going to give you the wine list here so you can take a look at this, but wow. Yeah, I'm like, I'm shocked at that price, but I'm also shocked that the person was shocked about it. It just, this to me is one of those, one of those stories that just tells me the apocalypse is upon us. How you can have a restaurant that would charge 37,000 pounds. I don't even know what that is in dollars and how you can go there and spend that kind of, it's, it's all because. Can you imagine being a server there though? How much you would make in tips? Yeah, unless unless the person said, "Wait a sec, thirty-seven thousand pounds." I'm sorry, I'm tapped out. No tip for you. <laughs> you would hunt them down, and well, I don't know what you would do to the person if they didn't give you a tip on that one. But all because he drops salt on his forearm. I mean, I got to come up with some sort of silly shtick to open a restaurant. If this is if this is what happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't know. I'll, I'll be thinking about something. I'm gonna shoot it from a cannon onto your steak, and that'll that'll. <laughs> Wow, you know, it's my I thing. Come to your restaurant, Scott. <laughs> you do, let me assure you, Annette, you want to be nowhere near my cooking. It is uh <laughs> it is not a strength. There are other strengths. Cooking is not one of the strengths, but uh, thirty-seven thousand pounds. I don't even know what that is in Canadian dollars, but it's a lot of dollars. It's a lot. Well, you normally do uh one and a half. So So there you go. So let's say fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. For dinner, for dinner. And this, and, and no suggestion that this was Jeff Bezos or any of the other rich guys. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it was Richard Branson. Maybe he was hiding. He was, he just really wanted forearm infused salt. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. He took, he took grandma there after he was so moved (laughs) by her. Let's go have a $50,000 dinner with forearm infused salt on your meat. What a, what a weird world we live in. Very weird world we live in. Other than the world Annette Hom lives in. I mean, it's filled with Disney, but otherwise not too weird at all. Uh, really appreciate you doing this today, Annette. We always love having you on. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Thank you for asking me. You can find Annette on CHCH Morning Live weekday mornings, and you can see her with Colonel Hadfield on Monday. He will be on there talking about his new book. So, yes, we will we will grant you permission even though I'm filling in for Rick Zamper and we'll be on here at the same time. If you need to step away for a few minutes to go watch that, because that'll be a great interview, do it and then come back. But yes, Annette, uh, fantastic journalist in this city and a great person. And we always love having her on. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.